Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, I'm Tom Butler. I'm Brendan Duffy. And I'm Tom Wheatley. And you're listening to the James Bond A to Z podcast. Join us as three lifelong 007 fans go on a journey of discovery. We're on a mission to discover everything we can about cinema's greatest spy films. By learning about the people who made them in front of the camera and behind. The James Bond A to Z podcast is in no way affiliated with James Bond, Eon or the Fleming Estate. We've researched each episode as extensively as we can, but our information does come from a range of sources. We do our best to make sure the information is accurate, but sometimes we can get it wrong. If you want to correct us on something or add some more detail, email us at podcast at jamesbondatoz.co.uk. Hello and welcome to the James Bond A to Z podcast. Thank you very much for joining us again for another episode. This time we will be talking again about Timothy Dalton uh, my name is Tom Butler, and I am joined, as always, by Tom Wheatley. Hello. Brendan Duffy. Hi. And we've got a very special guest this week, Mr. James Page, uh, co-founder of MI6HQ and MI6 Confidential, and the co-host of James Bond and Friends. James, thank you Hi, for joining folks. us. Thanks for having me. So, James, uh, first of all, um, when we first had this conversation about you coming on to join us, you expressed an interest in talking about Timothy Dalton. Mm. Why Why was that? What? What's your sort of relationship with the Timothy Dalton era of James Bond films? Uh, I think he's um, under-celebrated, under-covered. Um, and I think Dalton really, his era suffered from mod- from the modern fan coverage, his perspective of not being around with the internet, <laughs> frankly. Because... Um, Brosnan's Bond, you know, brought in a huge new audience with the web coverage and everything. And online communities started forming like 96, 97. Um, and obviously with Craig, with social media's era, Dalton had none of that. And so I, not many people have covered him to the same depth. And I think there's not been the same level of analysis on his work. Um, and he's just kind of been this kind of like shadowy corner of the franchise for the, for the wider public. And I think he's greatly underappreciated. And I'm glad that fans that came in on the Brosnan 
gravy train are starting to appreciate Dalton now. We're seeing a 180 U-turn, I think, in a lot of those folks. Yeah, absolutely. Brendan and Wheatley, what's I don't think we've discussed this on the episodes, but what how have you come to the the Dalton films over the years? Oh, um, I, 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 to be honest, when I come to the other Bond actors, I can pretty much remember when the first time I saw them was. But Dalton, I think he just crept in um, at some point without me really putting any effort into kind of watching his film so i i can't remember when i first watched a, a, a dalton film and i think that they definitely merged into one for me in the early years of my bond interest as well for me he is very much the forgotten bond uh and i echo what wheatley just said is i can't remember the first time i watched uh either of the dalton mm-hmm. bonds but all the other bonds i can remember and they do blur into one and i find myself thinking oh which one did that happen in um, I have watched them recently, though, and I have to say I really like *License to Kill*. Uh, I think mm-hmm. his his performance in both can't be can't be faulted, to be honest. Yeah, I wonder how much of um, the sort of lack of um, exposure for Dalton lies with the ITV rights. I'm sort of anecdotally speaking, but I feel like ITV didn't show them as often as the Roger Moore, Sean Connery films. And obviously, the, the the Brosnan films were very much in the cinema and in the ether at that at that time in the nineties. So, yeah, that's that's what I think about it. But I I yeah, I have to I have to agree with James. I think um, he there does seem to have been a U turn in appreciation for him. But then also, I was actually looking. I did a bit of diving into you know this idea of a of a renaissance for the Timothy Dalton films, mm-hmm. and. Well, I was looking at uh, obviously Raymond Benson's book, the the bedside companion, and he, he only goes up to far as as far as the Living Daylights. But in the in his write up, he calls the Living Daylights the best James Bond film since the sixties. So I think there was appreciation for Dalton, but possibly might have just been more with the hardcore fans mm, than from with a Fleming, the general from public. From a Fleming scholar, right? Yeah, yeah. Do you think that's think there's something in that? Well, I've got like two completely uh, different data sets for you. One is IMDb ratings. Um, the Living Daylights and License to Kill are two of the most improved films since Craig started in 06 in terms of how they're rated. Wow. Um, so they've gone up the most out of the whole series. Um, some of the best loved ones have actually dipped down. Um, Roger actually had a bit of a boost as well. But um, it was almost like during the Craig era, people found the Dalton films and they, and they got, went up in IMDb. Um, so that's like hundreds of thousands of votes. The other end is two people I spoke to recently, um, <laughs> both female Bond fans who came in on Brosnan, didn't like Dalton during the Brosnan era. Didn't like Craig when he started. Now love it. And now they have both, in the last two years, rediscovered Dalton and think that they're, he's, they're, you know, not their favorite, but they've certainly he's certainly jumped to like number two or number three in the list. So I think there's this reevaluation, and I think part of that is Eon's kind of soft power about which bonds they support. So during Brosnan's run, like you mentioned, it was Connery and Roger on ITV every every bank holiday because it fitted the narrative of the movies they were making. Now that Craig's the current Bond, they promote the films closer to his era. So we're seeing a lot of more love and publicity for Majesties and Dalton to the point where there's like a stack of Dalton references in No Time to Die. So I think whether it's 
conscious or unconscious, I think the franchise also helps steer where attention is. And that's, I think, got a lot of eyes on Dalton the last like five or six years. We obviously know that his Aston Martin returns in No Time to Die. What are the other stacks of Dalton references that you can... Uh... I get into a lot of trouble, so I'm not going to say any of them. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, looking back as well, uh, I, I found uh, Roger Ebert, someone we always look at, uh, look to for a critical response at the time, and he, he really rated uh, Timothy Dalton. Um, he said that uh, about, about Licence to Kill... The major difference between Dalton and the earlier Bonds is he seems to prefer action to sex, but then so do the movie audiences these days. Licence to Kill Mm. is one of the best of the recent Bonds. So I feel like the critical response might have been there, but the box office was down. Is that that right for his era? Yeah, I think it was one of the lowest performing. Fourth from bottom, I think. And that bottom is now occupied by... Spectre, Quantum, and The World Is Not Enough in terms of budget to box office and license to go, I think, is fourth and bottom. But I think a lot of that was MGM in the US. They marketed it really badly. They put it out two weeks after Batman came out. Um, there was just like no room for maneuver in the box office in the States. And their marketing campaign was very poor and underfunded. Um, and Dalton didn't take off in the States with, Lice, with Living Daylights either. The box office for Living Daylights was down. So the, he never found his US market, unfortunately, at the time. So it would have been interesting to see, had they had a third film, and given MGM state, I mean, would that have been even a cheaper film than License to Kill? Because they just didn't want to bet a big budget on him. And I know the subject of the third Dalton film comes up a lot, and I think the best third Dalton film is the one that he never made, because it's always going to be better in our heads than the <laughs> one they would have made. Um, so I, I don't know, the US market was tough for him. And I think I think that's what a lot of the popular kind of like man in the street opinion on Dalton is, especially in the states. Is he never had a fair crack of it over here? Do you think he? I mean, f- for me, stepping back and thinking, oh, they really backed Pierce Brosnan. You know, when he when mm-hmm. he got the gig for Goldeneye, they really put everything behind it. And I don't know because I wasn't around at the time, but it feels like they didn't give Dalton that same backing. No, and Brosnan was a big TV star in the states, so I think it was easy for MGM to throw money at him. I don't think MGM yeah. knew who Timothy Dalton was, <laughs> frankly, prior to his casting. Which was, you know, rushed, right? Yeah, Despite what exactly. the official story is, it was a week after Brosnan couldn't do it. Yeah, he was. it sounded like he was someone that was on their radar, but not a serious contender. But then he kind of had to become the contender when Brosnan was not able to do it do you do you have a preference james in the in his two films of of which one you uh, would go to for years it was daylights i never really liked license to kill when i was a kid so just to date me i was too young to see license to kill in the theater i missed it by a couple of years so i caught that up on video um i was still too young to watch it on video um it just seemed like such an outlayer um to the franchise um and then we were in that kind of like limbo up until 94 when they greenlit Goldeneye was there going to be a new Bond movie (laughs) nobody thought there would be Um, and it's I'd say in the last four or five years I've really come to appreciate License Skill it's now one of my favourite Bond films Um, and and Daylights is I I see it now as kind of like I can see what they were doing they had a two year cycle after Roger left to like cast a new Bond and get one in and it's kind of like the greatest hits package of all the little bits of Fleming and Bond that they wanted to put in there. But License to Kill, I think, was way better suited to Dalton's 
style and what he wanted to do with the character. It's way up there with me now. And I think it would have been a, looking back on it, what a great film to actually end the series on had it ended there because it's him quitting the service, hanging it up, doing his personal mission and then literally putting the phone down at the end of the film on, on, on the secret service. So, you know, you could see it as like the end of one of those eras, whether intentional intentionally or not. I think it's a great film. Yeah. I think license to kill is the one that's grown on me the most. I think the two between the two of them, I think it's the more interesting. And I wonder whether it's because, you know, they were almost creatively backed into a corner, I think. And they took this new direction and it felt, and it still does feel very different to the other Bond films. It doesn't feel mm-hmm. like a traditional Bond film. And I guess almost that becomes interesting in and of itself, right? It's like On a Majesty's Secret Service. It in many ways doesn't feel like a Bond film. It has the right hallmarks, but... And that's another film that's really grown in people's estimations as well, right? Because it's 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 different to the to the usual formula. Um but yeah, I, I think every year, every time I watch Living Daylight, uh, sorry, License to Kill, it gets better. Um, mm-hmm. And I just tend to appreciate its finer points. But Wheatley, you're not a fan of License to Kill. Um, I wouldn't say I'm not a fan, but I would say um, the conversations that we've had as a group, you definitely like it a lot more than I do. Um, I probably, I think I, I, it probably boils down to, I, I actually quite like the sort of fantastical elements of Bond. And I like it when it's not necessarily goes a bit too ridiculous, but I think License to is a little bit too grounded for me. And as we've talked about it before, it's a little bit too similar to sort of the detective, the American detective shows around that era. Um, And for me, it just doesn't, when I think about that film, nothing really stands out as being, there's not a lot happening. It's all a very similar style of, kind of storyline and locations and stuff like that so that's why i'm not a massive fan of it just because it just feels to me like it's 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 a little bit of a general bond film and there's not a lot of high points to it that i'd get from a lot of other bond films just before we move on james you mentioned on the imdb ratings some of the uh mm. bigger films dropping down in appreciation which ones i can't remember i think goldfinger dipped down one or two points point one point two something like that Connery's Connery's films, we did an episode on it like a year ago and I did all the research. So it may have changed since then. But Connery's films, I think, in general, dipped down like 0.1, 0.2 or something like that. Rogers went up 0.1 or 0.2 and License to Kill, I think, went up like 0.4 or something. It was like the big outlayer, like all of a sudden it had appreciation. It went from being one of the lowest ranked to kind of like mid-tier, which is a big jump. And Brosnan's got beat up quite a lot. Brosnan's ratings got beat up on IMDb. Right. But that's, I think that's kind of just how it is that the guy before the current guy gets a bit of shade. <laughs> you know, when it was Brosnan, Dalton wasn't looked favorably upon. When it was Roger, George wasn't favorably looked upon. And now Craig's current Brosnan kind of gets, kind of gets the stick. So wait till Bond 7 and then the Craig movies will dip. <laughs> feel like the Craig movies are already getting a bit of a kick in, to be honest. <laughs> um, let's dive into some of the details then of uh, of the Dalton era. So um, I sort of ask you guys to have a think about some of the some of the key tropes in in Bond in the in the Dalton era and sort of have a have a discussion around them. So I'll kick things off, but talking about the action scenes, I think that the Dalton era has some really memorable action sequences 
And yeah, I just wanted to get your guys' take on like what you think the best Dalton act- action sequence is. Um, and for me, it's a bit of a toss-up between the start of and the end of License to Kill. <laughs> I, I love the I love the, um, the stuff over Key West with the um, parachutes and how they capture the plane with like a lasso and feels like something that Chris Nolan ripped off for Dark Knight Rises. Mm-hmm. But then also that tanker sequence at the end of License to Kill is just so real and so good. But yeah, any other takers for for best Dalton action sequence? I've gone for the truck chase. Yeah, as my, my as the best one. I just think it's it's fantastic on on its on the scale of it as well, and it looks fantastic. Yeah, I, I actually um I went for the first scene. He's a first ever scene in Gibraltar, <laughs> mm. just because I think he comes off very well in that. I think that opening scene, like the first scene in Goldeneye, it's a great scene. It's just a it's just a really nice entrance for a new Bond to come in at. Um, although I, 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 yeah, the the, um, the truck scene is it up there for me? It's an impressive scene. I mentioned that in one of the other questions as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, really. I, I really like the Gibraltar sequence because Dalton did a lot of that stuff himself. <laughs> um, whether it was on location, you know, or or doing stuff with back projection, it, it's not a stunt double. And yeah. I think it is the best introduction to a Bond. And that sequence has a lot of intelligence in it. Um, as a kid, I never knew why he kicked the window out of the Jeep as it goes off the cliff. And like years later, a guy, a friend of mine that's in the army said, oh yeah, that's so his parachute gets updraft when he pops it. Yeah, like, yeah. well, they didn't need that in Octopussy, but um, <laughs> <laughs> those things just go up like balloons. Um, yeah, but it's, 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 it's very well, and it's very, it, the benefit it has is it's very economic because it's the pre-title sequence. Everything has to be really tight. Um, and I think the tanker chase is just brilliant, but it, it it has the benefit of being as long as it wants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I just think it's got a, a lot of life layers. You've you've got to work stuff out. What's happening? Why are these people doing this? And the extra elements come in. It's just a very nice, tidy little um, sequence. And did anyone have a taker for the the worst action sequence in the in the Dalton era? I'm going to say. The deleted, deleted living daylights <laughs> flying carpet. Have you seen? Oh, does that? that make it the best that they cut it though? Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe. I, you could, I can't believe that was even part of it. I love the pictures from that. It's so, uh, so bizarre. Yeah, but also the tobogganing in the cello case. I think is. Uh, yeah, I've, I've got that one down. Feels like a Perfect. hangover from the the Roger Moore era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I went with one with one that was cut too, but it was it's Whitaker's infiltration at the end of the daylights there was originally going to be a lot more kind of like dalton doing stuff in spycraft and they cut it to just him like walking through a hedge um (laughs) at the end of the film i mean that's like supposed to be the big showdown and he just like hides behind a hedge touches his ear and walks into the the house and that's you know they did it for they did it to keep the the pace of the film moving but i think they it's pretty weak yeah yeah he's a great shout Talking of um, Brad Whitaker, the <laughs> villains. So we don't have many to choose from for for Dalton. Although I would say that License to Kill has some great henchmen. I think in terms of the villains, I'll let someone else go first this time. Be- best Dalton villain, uh, Brendan Sanchez in License to Kill, played by Robert Darvey. Just think he's so grounded. There's there's not many Bond villains that feel real. And it, but I think he is one of them, and it's not over the top. It's not dramatic. It's like there is a threat. This guy is, you know, he's he's just he's a bit crazy, but not not too much that he wants to 
take over the world. And that's what I really like about that. So is that why some people don't rate Sanchez? Because he's too real? It's probably versus, that's, like, the Goldfingers. Yes, it's why I don't rate him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I want a Bond villain with a little bit of uh, what's like a caricature about them. I yeah. want them to be a bit ridiculous. So, but, I, I, so as it comes to D- Dalton villains, I'm fairly stuck for um, sort of exciting caricatures like Blofeld and stuff like that. So I will go for, and I go through, I'll go for him every time we, this crops up, Dario, mm. just because he's there's a lot to that character, you know, the the henchman in License to Kill. I just think he's an actual scary villain, and there's a there's a lot of sort of you don't see that a lot in, you see that sort of sort of pantomime scary villain, but he's actually a very scary man who I actually wouldn't want to meet. But I think he's he's very good for that. And I think he's probably. One of the most interesting parts of that film for me, I think he just kind of like holds it all together. Hang on, you do want pantomime or you don't? <laughs> I'm confused. <laughs> I, well, I always want pantomime, but he's the closest right. you'll get to pantomime. <laughs> James, did you have anyone th- else? Yeah, I'm going to throw out, I think, somebody that's like not that well known. When he comes on the screen, you instantly hate the guy. Um, I think universally. Um, and it's Clive. Clive. The guy that kills Sharky and then he harpoons. That guy yes. just oh, yeah. the minute he's on the screen, you just want to kill him yourself. <laughs> he's such a smug bastard, and then you know Bond gets his revenge. It's like a mini license to kill within license to kill. So here's a guy that kills yeah. one of yeah. Bond's friends and he gets his revenge on him. All within forty five seconds. And he gets a great. I wasn't expecting anyone to pick that character. <laughs> great. He gets a great uh, quip, doesn't he? That's for Sharky. I mean, it's just so like to the point. Um, I I really like Necross in uh, Living Daylights. I think he's quite an interesting character in how he sort of l- looks menacing, acts menacing, has that whole thing with the being the milkman. I really like that. That's um, the best scene he does. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. He's a very 80s villain, isn't he? Yes, very much so. What is he's listening to Chrissy Hind, isn't he? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Where yeah. has everybody gone? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I've got him on my list. And I was going to say uh, Sanchez, but um, Robert Darvey, he's, he's, he's quite a character now, isn't he? In real life. <laughs> yeah. Um, Depending on your politics, his social media can be uh, interesting. Yeah, a bit, uh, bit edgy. Um, in terms of the worst, then, uh, I've sort of already touched upon Brad Whitaker. I think he's an interesting character, but for me, I think he's uh, either underused or underdeveloped or, or something. I'm not, yeah, I can't put, quite put my finger on him. Um, but yeah, he'd be my ch- choice for the least impressive of Dalton villains. But um, yeah, what, anyone else got any takers? I'm with you on that one. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's only in the film for literally like five minutes. Yes. If you add up his scenes. Is that right? Um, yeah. Wow. It's but, just a tour of his trinkets. Yeah. Um, I was pointing this out to people. It's like, but, you know, thanks to Brad Whitaker, we do have Hitler in a Bond movie. <laughs> when that, when that, ca- that camera pans. And they'd never do that today. I don't know what they were thinking in 1987. It's like, let's have some swastikas and a Hitler while we, we slowly pan to Brad Whitaker. I mean, like, come on. <laughs> I, I, I always think um, he's... He just doesn't work with Dalton's Bond. I think it, it just jars me every time I see him. It, I mean, he might have been okay with an, he might have been okay with Roger. He might have, that might have worked uh, all right, but with Dalton, they just don't too different and uh, they don't mm-hmm. fit together at all. What do you think of Milton Crest? 
He's pretty rubbish, isn't he? Yeah. He's <laughs> got one of the worst death scenes. Yes. I'm going to come to that. I'm going to come to that. In fact, it segues nicely into, into Dalton's kills. I would say something about Dalton is that... Um, He's uh, he's quite a, he's quite a violent Bond, I think, and I don't know, James. You might have some more idea on the t- statistics, but like, did he does he kill more people like straight up than other Bonds? No, in fact, he kills very few people in License to Kill. I mean, uh, <laughs> I've gone back and Bad forth. Title. Yeah, right. I've gone back and forth on this. Um, he does have his License to Kill taken away, so he spends most of that film manipulating the baddies to killing each other. Right. He doesn't really kill that many people licensed to kill. But the one that always stands out for me out of that film is Killifer. Yes. When he's dang when he's dangling on the rope above the shark, you know, pool. Um and that is the most cold blooded Fleming esque kill that Dalton's Bond pulls off when he just throws that suitcase of money at him. I mean, that is there's so many elements of Fleming's Bond in there. Doesn't care about the money, easy come, easy go. He's totally cold blooded. It's a revenge kill. I mean, it ticks like every single box for me. Um, standout Dalton moment. Yeah, I had that one as well. You earned it. You keep it, old buddy. <laughs> I love the way he delivers the line. Um, it's he, he. I know that everyone says he's the Welsh Bond, but he's he's more northern to me, right? He's he, did we say he's, he was raised in Leeds or somewhere like that? Dar- Derbyshire. Derbyshire. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't feel like I get much of a hint of Welshness out of him, but northern. Mm. When he says yeah. bastard, yeah, um, <laughs> I, I really love. But I really love how he delivers that line. Is it any any, any other takers for the best death? Uh, Dario best being minced to death. It's <laughs> um, pretty brutal. Yeah, does that make it the best? You like your brutal death scenes, don't you? I Brand do. Enough. Oh yeah, blood spraying everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I quite like the Sanchez scene at there, just because it's a it, it's a nice ending to that arc between him and and Sanchez. It it pulls it all together quite nicely. I think that that the end sequence is probably one of my I much prefer it to the Living Daylights end sequence because I just find the Living Daylights end sequence is very drawn out and mm-hmm. very messy. There's a lot going on, whereas Lies to Kill, yeah, that just fits it nicely. That after that truck sequence. Uh, worst is there any is there such a thing as a worst death? Yeah, what's um, it's what's that? What is in the drawer that you know he punches the guy and he throws the guy in the drawer? What what is that? I can't remember what it is. Is it it's, maggots? It's supposed to be like fish food maggots. Fish food maggots. It was just all little rubber fishing lures that they jiggled yeah. in production to make it look like they were maggots. Yeah, but it's okay, that's well, that, that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Can you die by maggots? If you're in there long enough. <laughs> That's a good point, because he just punches him and he puts him in a drawer and then says, bon appetit. I mean... Yeah, I think he'd die of, uh, like, hypothermia first. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the death we wanted. <laughs> or the electric eel guy. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if you um, choke on maggots. So if, it was, if it was those fishing things, though, you probably could choke on that, I think. The worst one I went for was Whitaker, because um, Bond is really dumb. In that sequence. I mean, he's got his PPK, he's got seven bullets, and he puts all seven on the same bit of the gun shield. It's like, fires one, ricochets off, fires two. Get the get the hint. He even says, this is the latest body arm. Why not shoot the guy in the knee? He unloads all of his bullets into the same spot and then has to find another way to kill him. Which That's is... why they revoked his license to kill him. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, if, it, right. if it's Craig's Bond, he would have thrown the gun at him. It would have had more effect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, something about um, Timothy Dalton's Bond is, I know they talked about it a lot before Living Daylights, was that he would be have less Bond girls. Um, I think it's because in response to the AIDS crisis. So mm. Dalton's era doesn't have many Bond girls, shall we say. But do you have... Uh, a favourite? Who do you think is the best Bond girl from that era? James, we'll kick off with you. So, we- This, to me, like Licence to Kill is the late bloomer. Um, Pam Bouvier, like head, head and shoulders now above any, anybody else in that era. She's really smart, knows what she's doing, brings a lot to the film. In fact, you know, Bond would have been dead several times in Licence to Kill if it wasn't for her. And Carrie Lowell is just freaking amazing. I have a, spos- a soft spot for Talisa Soto's character. But to me, it's, it's Pam over everybody else by far. Yeah, I agree. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, absolutely. Remember when we we did the episode, we talked about Pam Bouvier and they said that she was really into doing her own stunts and they called her Pambo mm-hmm. on set. Pambo, um, yeah. Which is <laughs> really stuck, stuck with me as a nickname. Yeah, I think she's fantastic. I think... Um, she 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 looks different as well. Like she looks unlike any other Bond girl. I think which really helps. I think those like the promotional photos for 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 License to Kill are really distinctive because of those two mm. Bond girls yeah. who look very different. Um, I think she fits the, the 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 film well, and she fits Dalton well as well in that mm-hmm. film. It's it 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 works quite nicely. Those two characters and worst is there such a thing as a worst one when there aren't that many of them? Yes, there yes. is absolutely. Go on, Brendan. Yeah. Go on. Um, I mean, Kara is rubbish in, in Living Daylights. Ah, <laughs> oh, you went there. Uh, I think I've said about this, with Timothy Dutton in the Living Daylights is surrounded by a real lack of acting talent. And mm. for me, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, Marianne Darbo, but she's just rubbish in this. <laughs> she's just so wooden. It's terrible. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Let it all out, mate. Let it all out. <laughs> I'm agreeing with Brendan. I, I, I've got Marin Darbo down. I'm gonna, I've got a bit of an outlier here. What about Money Penny? Oh yeah, don't worry. I've, uh, me too. I've got an honourable mention for Caroline Lewis <laughs> Money Penny. Awful, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely terrible. In both she... films, consistently bad. I've never heard you so animated about this. <laughs> <laughs> she's she's only in license kill for about fifteen seconds, and she's still awful in that. Right. <laughs> is that her fault though, or is it the? Is it just? comes down to the scripting or who knows I mean, well somebody's somebody's to blame yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay my honorable oh. mention sorry quickly my honorable mention was more of a story point and it's linda on the boat <laughs> oh, because yeah. um yes bond's just seen like two of his double colleagues killed there's a russian spy network he's just uncovered and with spirits and everything and any other time, he's rushing to get back and kick some ass. And here he's like, you know what? I'm going to put my feet up, have a glass of champagne, probably have some nookie for a couple of hours, and then I'll get back to it. It's like that is so out of character. It's like he would never do that. He would be like throwing that boat into overdrive to get back to port as soon as possible, rather than just like having a little vacation. I uh, yeah, <laughs> so, I've always yeah. thought that scene was a little bit incongruous. It's um, it's almost like they have to put the punchline in for the yes. That's all it is, right? It's it's the punchline to the opening sequence, but does yeah. it work? And that's, that, in terms of the character, it's totally wrong, in my view. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's slightly hangover from Roger Moore, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in, in in contrast to Roger Moore, uh, Dalton has a very different way of doing one-liners, I would say. I, I think there's something something to be said about the way Dalton does his one-liners in that they're like, they're less quips, but more almost... He wants to make a point with his quips, like he's being like, you know, emphasising something rather than it being. I just think he, he gets these quips. They're clearly not written for him. They never realised. I, I don't know how he, they, when they were doing like the screen testing and they gave him quips, they'd think, oh, these work for him. I don't think they ever gave him one in the screen tests. Mm. But quite a lot of the time, he sounds very smarmy. He sounds like he's he's not being cool and like passing over a really clever quip. He's just, he's just you look at him and think, oh, shut up. Stop showing off. You want him raising an eyebrow and winking at the the camera, don't you? That's what you want. No, I don't want him doing any of that. I want him like play, like delivering a like a serious line. Like Craig doesn't really do that many weird one-liners. No, and when he does, they're jarring. Mm-hmm. Um, so, do you have a favourite then? Wheatley, have you got one to choose? So the one I I picked was um, it's when he sat with Sanchez uh, and they're talking about I can't remember they're talking about it but he says uh, help people with problems mm-hmm. talking about his job and Sanchez asking a bit more about it he says I'm more of a problem eliminator mm-hmm. but he delivers that line like it's a bit menacing he's it's not like a quip he's not trying to sound funny he's not trying to like use wordplay it's just very strict that's a line that works well because you look at it and think hey he's in control here he knows what he's doing and he's playing with Sanchez. And he's not just like you know lining up some stupid comment that isn't that funny. So I, I'd say that one's my best. James, it's one you can't hear, but it's Ooh, there. Go on. So the end towards the end of the daylights when they're trying to escape Afghanistan and Kara's in the jeep, and she's all proud of herself because she's driving the jeep, and she's driving the jeep next to the plane. She's like waving at him like hey, 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 and the camera pans in <laughs> on Dalton driving, piloting the plane trying to take off, and you can just see a mouth for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's Dalton all over, isn't it? That's per- he should have that line in more. You can't hear it, but you can see him say it, and it's like one of my favourite moments of Dalton's. Like he, he, that, he probably just threw that in himself, and they left it in there. But you can't hear it; it's never captioned. But next time you watch it, you'll never unsee it. That's amazing. Watch that tonight. I've never spotted it. That's amazing. Brendan, did you have one? Like you say, he doesn't have like bonafide stick out ones there's one that sticks out but i'm not i'm not having it as my best i know you're gonna pick it as your best but uh i'd probably i'll do anything for uh for a woman with a knife that's a it's a good one that's a good one i um, the one i've got on my list is when he's when he's using the sniper rifle on and and he's and he's watch the birdie you bastard (laughs) (laughs) it's your best one such a strange line which, well, it obviously, yeah, we'll get on to his, his non-Bond films. But the, the moment in, in, in Flash Gordon, which is probably his most famous bit in Flash Gordon, you bloody bastards. <laughs> just the way he says bastard, I think it's brilliant. Um, so that's my... I just realised why you're wearing the T-shirt. Yeah, well, right. it's coincidence, actually, that I'm wearing my Flash Gordon T-shirt. But, um, oh, right. Worst? Do you have a worst Dalton one-liner? Yeah, I could give you a list of about 40. <laughs> What the living daylight script? There you go. <laughs> Come on, let's be positive. In a, talk about uh, the, the worst one. one. He, uh, <laughs> I, I, I could, I could have picked loads. Is the line where he says um, they're like driving along in uh, living daylights, and he, I can't remember how he kills him, but he says salt corrosion. Yeah. Yep. As like the cause, and you look, you think, well, what? <laughs> what? Why are you telling her that? 
Um, so yeah, but it, but it says it in such a smart. You watch that clip. He's so smart near. He's like, oh yeah, I killed him. Salt corrosion, <laughs> and she doesn't know what he's talking about. So it just doesn't quite work. James, what's your? I I had I had written down here, salt corrosion. Okay. <laughs> because the reason it's bad for me is one, it doesn't work with Dalton's mind. Two is it wouldn't have worked for Rogers either. It's just a shitty line. <laughs> at the end of the day, line, yeah. it's a bad joke. Um, yeah. So I wouldn't mind it if he'd said it, but didn't look so pleased with it. That made it like ten times worse. The fact that he looked like he delivered an amazing line in it. I, I can't imagine the audience. I, I bet the audience watching that were just going, "What? What did he say?" Doesn't work for me. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. If you if you can if you can't put that line in any of the other Bond actors' mouths, mm-hmm. doesn't work. Then does it? Which is why I've gone for he got the boot. Um, for me, doesn't work for Dalton's Bond, mm. but you could put it in Roger Moore, Connery. Brosnan, mm. I think they would all be fine with that line, but because it's Dalton, it's it's slightly out of out of touch. Mm. I've got the conversation that he's having, and it sort of ends with, "Are you calling me a horse's ass?" Which again, you don't <laughs> want to be, don't want to hear Bond saying "horse's ass." Um, <laughs> no. It's just something you never want to hear 007 say. Um, great. All, all fantastic answers there. I guess if anyone's listening that wants to contribute any of their own thoughts to. Uh, to those points please email us podcast at james bond a to z dot co dot uk moving things on dalton have you have you do you have you guys watched many dalton things beyond his james bond career james have you have you spent much time watching his other stuff yes and no so um the clips we've all seen of him like with may west and stuff <laughs> you know his, his pre-bond stuff is is very patchy because he was a theater actor right there's not a lot of his stuff um, available to watch pre-Bond. Um, my favourite Dalton performance is the Brains Faggots commercials. <laughs> I haven't seen I these. have not seen oh, these. <laughs> it's voiceover work that's legendary. And uh, you should, I don't know if you can clip it in, Tom, in the edit, but it it's its just there. It's everything Dalton. How do you get smouldering danger by saying faggots? Brains faggots, but he does. And it's it's just such an eighties thing that he does. Um other than that, he was great in Doctor Who. He was absolutely yes. great in that. He he totally went into that part, knowing what it was, celebrated the fan base, you know, just put his arms around it and, and was like way over the top. Um and was brilliant in it. So there's some outliers for you. Because I know I know the the common ones that people pick out, but to me they're they're like prime Dalton, those two things. Brains faggots. I haven't thought about those for a long time. There was a childhood uh, staple. I don't even think they sell them anymore, do they? Tea time staple. Bet you can find them in Iceland or something. <laughs> yeah, it's still we get, the 80s stock. <laughs> we, get more, we get more listeners in the US than we do in the UK, so I wonder whether someone needs to explain what brains faggots is. <laughs> oh, um, I might be sure I could. Awful um, bits of meat that weren't sold somewhere else, chopped up with onions and gravy into like meatballs and frozen. That yeah, in a in a gravy, wasn't okay. it? Um, yeah, yeah. Well, who ate them? Oh, I did as a child. I did too. Yeah, I did too as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Delicious mash peas, mash and yeah. peas. It's probably yeah. probably probably why I don't eat meat now. Yeah, <laughs> I'd quite like to try some now. I'm going to do some research after this. I feel like I've missed out. Brains, faggots. We think you'd have liked the changes we've made. Brains, faggots, so tasty, you'll wish you'd tried them years ago.
Dalton, um, yeah, did all the hard work selling them to us in the eighties. Um, well, I love I, the I, highlight I, of his career. Yes, is that what we're saying? I'm saying that's my personal fa- <laughs> that's my personal favorite Dalton delivery is that commercial because it's just epic Dalton. It's totally out of place and completely not appropriate for the commercial. Um, I, I personally, I, I really like him in in Flash Gordon. I know I'm obviously wearing my Flash Gordon T-shirt, but um, that film is bonkers. He really gives it everything. I mean, everyone in that film is overplaying it, but uh, Dalton's, he's brilliant. He plays it like Errol Flynn. He's swashbuckling. Uh, he does the, yeah, bloody bastards line, uh, <laughs> which is great. So I would, well, I'd watch that any day of the week, I think. Brendan? I'm going to go for the obvious one because no one said it yet. Mm-hmm. Hot fuzz. Yeah. Simon Skinner. He's he's obviously fantastic. He's having so much fun. Um, it's got nods to his his career as as Bond as well. Yeah, I think it's it's great. You can see he's not taking himself seriously at that point, which is it's nice to see. That was that was perfectly cast. That was mm-hmm. I think that's probably reason why Hotford is is possibly the high point of those three films because he's such a good character in it and. He's just having fun of it, isn't he? He's loving every minute of that, and he does it well. Yeah, I think it's an impeccably cast film from top to bottom, isn't it? I think um, mm-hmm. everyone in that film is is brilliant. I love um, what the two guys called Rafe, Rafe Spall and um, Paddy Considine. The two I can't even think what they call <laughs> them now, but those two guys together are, th- are fantastic. Um, and yeah, everyone in that is great. But yeah, Dalton is brilliant. So let's let's move on a little bit now from from Dalton, James. Can you tell us a little bit about um, MI6 HQ, your history with it, how it came to be, and oh, geez. what the evolution of that has been? Started it, wait for it, 1997, <laughs> which is longer than some people listening to this have been alive, probably. Yeah, we started in 97 as like, there wasn't many um, James Bond websites out there. Kimberly Last had a good one uh, back in the day, um, some other bits and pieces, all long since gone. I got the James Bond Encyclopedia CD-ROM. I think that came out in 96. It was all gold and I branded. I don't know if any of you had the thing. And I was like, oh, where can we put this online? That'd be a much more fun place to do it. So we started doing like character profiles and movie reviews and that kind of stuff. And that continued, that experiment continued. And here we are, what, how many years later? 24 years later. And it's just kind of grown and evolved with the internet. You know, we had big, there was a decade where we had a big community forum. And then that, pivoted to social media now we're doing podcasts and we've had the magazine since 2008 so it's been an evolution and um i'd love to know what's coming next post craig how the fans are going to communicate going forwards because we've got all these platforms now um it used to be like in control of a half a dozen people running a half a dozen websites and now anybody can create content which is a blessing and a curse um because there's a lot of stuff to pick through i don't know maybe the future is more of a curation kind of place where we go around picking out all the best stuff that people are doing because there's just so much of it now so i don't know that's a rambling answer of like i don't know what we're doing what <laughs> <laughs> uh, um looking back over all the time that you've been working on it what was the sort of the proudest achievements um of some of the stuff that you've done through Ooh. through the site and magazine uh it used to be like breaking all the big stories but yeah, that that that's kind of gone now because within two minutes of having a big story, everyone else has run it anyway. So, you know, that's doing those big scoops is is kind of um, not really fun anymore. 
I'd say doing the deep interviews and the work we do with some of the behind the scenes folks and any conversation with a crew member is infinitely more interesting than a member of the cast usually because um, these are artists these are people who you know hone their skills for decades to and this is their peak achievement versus an actor it could just be their job for the week right so you know we've done books with Pete Lamont um we're doing one or two with John Glenn right now they they to me are it because that this is part of the the history that's not often told the official franchise does a really good job of kind of having the polished history but to me the more interesting stuff is the stuff that didn't happen the decisions that didn't get made um, you know, the alternatives they explored and the reasons why they made the decisions they did. Um, so talking to the production designers, you know, script writers, directors about how they made their film, I think I think that's why I get the most pleasure out of right now, telling those stories and putting them together. Because unfortunately, a lot of these guys are getting on. And obviously, we lost Peter recently. Um, we were about to do a, a GoldenEye book with him which is never going to come out now. Oh, what a shame. Um, so, you know, we're racing to try and get some of these stories told before, you know, before we can't. Yeah. Is there anyone there in the world, uh, the production world that would be sort of considered the Holy Grail for you that you, you, you'd love to speak to, but haven't been able to nail down yet? Timothy Dalton. <laughs> Does he ever talk about Bond anymore? Um, he's loosened up a little bit in recent years. I know, I know that goes against my whole thing about speaking to the crew is more interesting than the cast, but I think Dalton was so in, so interesting in his tenure and everything that went down. We've talked to everybody around him, especially in the productions, but never got his side of it. And most of the stuff that's out there obviously comes from the time they were promoting the film. So, you know, everything's great. It's, you know, um, you, you don't get the... Um, the more interesting stuff. So I, I love to talk to him and get his take on, on things. Um, he did a little bit for the everything or nothing documentary, but again, I mean, that's clipped down and that's a sanitized publicity piece for the anniversary. Right. So it was never going to be a warts and all. I'd love him to come back and do something, you know, just to tell his story about it and what it, I don't think he's even discussed what, what it meant to him to be bond and what the effects were for him afterwards and how it all went down very little about it compare that to george lazenby who like eats out three times a week on that story pretty <laughs> much right so you know i'd love to get that down before you know the, the memory start fading and the people around him we've already started losing them right so it's that would that would be my holy ground okay um I guess we can start wrapping things up. I think um, what we usually ask guests is um, the classic question. Who, who do you think should be mm. the next James Bond? Nobody the fans want. <laughs> the worst thing that they could ever do is listen to the fan community. And I, I say that as part of the fan community. I just, I think the next iteration is going to be really important. And they said that themselves the other week in Variety. And I'm going to say something now, which a lot of people scream at their, podcast player for which is i really think they need to take a break <laughs> for a couple of years and not be part of this hype train about who's going to be the you know like the minute no time to die comes out the the question is going to be who's the next james bond like the press is going to move on from that within minutes they really need to take a step back i'd love to have them bring somebody in to oversee like at least a three film tenure Rather than hiring art house directors that just kind of pop in and pop out, having somebody in to basically weave 
a story get a reboot done right like a creative oversight like marvel do like um like nolan is often talked about but not him (laughs) um you know and and basically just sharpen the pencils and get get the stories plotted out for the next three films don't do one and then try and retrofit the next one into the first one because you weren't thinking about it Uh, like needs to have a bit more of a long-term view and i think with the money that amazon are going to have to back mgm if that deal goes through they can take a bigger view on it rather than doing this one film at a time kind of shoot from the hip stuff which has had mixed results right in the last 20 years so a break is as good as a vacation and i think it will give um a little bit of fresh air after craig leaves before they jump back into it again i think to do that they will really have to say that they're having a break <laughs> rather than mm-hmm. just letting the speculation uh, accumulate. Cause I think that's the worst thing. I think you're right. I think if they, if they're able to, I know everyone's saying, are oh, we make an announcement next year for the anniversary? But um, if they were to make an announcement that there was going to be no announcement would be the right thing to do. Um, even if it's just in an interview, you know, we're not going to announce the next bond until, mm-hmm. you know, 2024 or whatever. That would be, um, that would be an interesting way of doing it. I think, um, yeah, it would give them the time. Who do you think? Do you foresee Barbara and Michael continuing on with the next era? It's something I've been thinking about recently because they are not getting any younger either of them. No, Barbara's taken obviously a lot more forefront on the last two movies. Um, Michael G. Wilson had you know health stuff going on during Spectre, and he's been kind of in the background since. There is nobody to take over right now, so I think it's going to be Barbara Broccoli leading the charge. But I think she's going to disappear for a couple of years, do some theatre projects, maybe do a non-Bond film, and then they'll come back to it. Maybe I'll stick it out in here now and say it's going to be like 2024, 2025, I think, before we yeah. see Bond 7. And your expectations for Bond 25? You looking forward to that one? It, it To me personally, it's up and down. I Obviously, any new Bond film is like the next best thing ever, and we all want to see it like now. I, I worry that... Um, the fan base is starting to get a little bit soured by the false starts on this one. And people won't go into it with the same level of of enthusiasm as they might have. So I hope it's a bloody good film to dispel all of that. And we'll forget all about, you know, the delays and the false starts and all the drama. And it'll just be a bloody good film. Because nobody looks back at From Russia With Love and thinks, yeah, whoa, what a tumultuous production that was. And, you know, the director nearly died and it was over budget. And all this. No, you just think it's a great film, right? And I hope that's what No Time To Die gets looked back upon. And, you know, we airbrush out mentally all this drama and uncertainty as time goes by. Um, I'm reminded of um, when, I forget, uh, there was another showrunner and he was asked, like, what do you do to celebrate a big anniversary? He says, you just make the best thing you possibly can, like they did with Skyfall. <laughs> right at the time and i just hope that the film is great and then nobody will care about any of this other gumph and woke news coverage and drama and bad publicity and you know all that other stuff that's we've endured over the last what three years yeah i guess the pandemic didn't help either um no (laughs) (laughs) no without the pandemic there was enough stuff there was enough negativity about this film without the pandemic that's true that's true um, Brendan, Tom, are you both hyped? We're only, nearly a month away now, nearly two months away. A month. Uh, Brendan, do you want to go first? 
the hype has has uh, deteriorated. I have to say, I'm I've fallen fallen foul of that. New trailers, new posters. I just just want to see the film now. I always work on the principle with Bond films that. I was let down by Spectre, let's mm. say. <laughs> I was really excited by uh, at the prospect of that film, and it, it had a lot of, like, it sounded like it was going to be phenomenal. That Skyfall, the, the, just the name sounded like it could be amazing. So I don't get, if I see a Bond film that I don't enjoy or I'm let down by, I don't expect the next one to be good because I don't want to be let down twice. <laughs> so I'm going to go in thinking, okay, this is going to be another Spectre. And if it's not, I'm going to be very happy. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, I've got to say, when I went, when, when I saw Black Widow at the cinema, when they played the Bond trailer, it was quite exciting. I'm just going to say that. Mm-hmm. I think once you're in the cinema, I think the hype levels can return. Okay, uh, well, thank you so much for joining us, James. Uh, if people want to find you, find you online, James at James Bond Live. At James Bond Live on Twitter, or just go to mi6-hq.com, and from there you'll find all our other stuff. Um, and if people want to find uh, us online, Brendan? At James Bond A to Z on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And email weekly? Podcast at jamesbondatoz.co.uk. Well, thank you so much for joining us, James. Um, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, this has been the James Bond A to Z podcast. James Bond will return <laughs> next week. Thanks a lot. Thanks, guys. Ciao. James Bond A to Z podcast features Tom Butler, Brendan Duffy, and Tom Wheatley. The podcast was produced by Tom Wheatley, with music by Tom Ingomels, and artwork supplied by Helen Dolly. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.